everyone, and welcome back to another episode of We're Watching Star Trek, the original series. I am your host, Brandon, and still with us is Paul. Yo, yo, what's up, people? Here again uh, to talk about Star Trek. I don't say Star Wars. It's Star Wars with an accident. Um, Star Trek. Uh, to enjoy it. Uh, enjoying the season. Uh, let's talk about it. Uh, let's get it. Let's go. And we got Dan. Yeah, let's jump right into it. And jump right into it, we will, right after I tell you what our Twitter slash X is, and that's at WWST underscore pad, podcast, not podcast, uh, and merch description or merch link in the episode description. I still can't talk. Y'all. Hey, did you uh did you uh check the uh Twitter at all since the last episode? I never did even checked it. Yeah, we we for a while, like the interaction kind of comes and goes. Okay. Like uh, it depends. The, obviously, the more consistent we are with releases, the more people, you know, talk and interact. And I, I like what we have going right now is it's not like a constant influx of stuff because, like, I am terrible about social media. And that's literally the only one that I even mess with. And I rarely ever mess with that. And, like, the people that do interact with us usually have really good insights and a lot of really good trivia. Okay. So, like, it's, yeah, it's it's not, like, booming. And I am completely fine with that. Like, I... I like how it is right now. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> but yeah, it's it for usually a while, just so. like people people like the uh, the release um, announcements and stuff like that, just to you know let us know that that they're still there, which is always cool. Yeah, they're like yeah, finally they're putting out another episode. Yeah, it's been, we're like it's been we're, four months. We man. are consistently bi-weekly now. Like that's a very consistent bi-weekly schedule that we're on. So I'm a hey, that works for me. Um. But what also works for me is season two, episode twenty, Return to Tomorrow. I, I do you guys understand the uh the title, like how it fits the episode? Because I have I don't understand how it fits the episode. No. There was a um man, there was a trivia thing in here that, that explained that I didn't write down somewhere. But I'm assuming it's because of since we're going to the the people are in, more advanced than us. That so they're returning to us okay. since we're since we're like young since we're younger they're more advanced than us so about them returning to the old old olden people olden days of old people like us i'm assuming yeah that makes sense so, like they they are tomorrow yeah they are, the yeah. episode titles are very rarely like uh upfront about what's going on in the episode yeah, i know this episode they, they, they also got was a body snatcher <laughs> something i know this body, episode well, also got nominated was... for an award for uh like best a drama award or something so this one did yeah oh, oh yeah, i, I so thought we had some better like, episodes that not yeah, to jump ahead but it was, you like know best, a little bit more drama yeah like, like best written like best written drama series or something i'll look it up as we're talking and i'll, I'll explain to when we get to the end huh okay uh original air date for this one is not tomorrow it was february 9th 1968 and the Enterprise is a flying, and Sulu's there. He's finally back. I think he's done with his movie, so that's cool. It was really nice that's to see him. That's the thing I wrote down. I said Sulu about time. <laughs> yeah. And he uh, informs Captain Kirk that there are readings coming from a star system dead ahead of them. And Uhura tells them that the signal that they're getting is not actually a signal at all, but whatever it is, it's affecting all of her channels. So Kirk goes to Spock, who says that someone or something is trying to get their attention. And Kirk's like, well, they have succeeded. But he doesn't know what to do in the situation, and he wants to know what's causing this whole situation. But Spock says that not even a Vulcan can know the unknown. And Spock continues, and he says that uh, there are hundreds of light years past where any Earth ship has ever explored. So they're... They're way out there. Unexplored territory, yeah. So Sulu then announces that there's a planet ahead, and he puts it on the screen. 
And Spock notes that it's a Class M planet that's similar to Earth, but it's much older, and its atmosphere was ripped away by some sort of cataclysm about a half million years ago. And he says that the planet has been dead since then, and that their sensors don't de- don't detect any kind of life. So then you hear, we get a lot of this, the big booming voice in this series. Yeah. It's just, yeah, we, it's, there's a whole lot of it. What, you, uh, what should they have gone with like the, the sweet whispers, like, it's like in the back of their ears? <laughs> Yes, just a, just a little whisper. If you guys didn't hey. know, the big woman voice actually is Scotty. Uh, Scotty is it? Yeah, Scotty plays Sargon. Yeah, I uh, I saw the name that did the voice, and I was like, uh, "Is that Scotty?" And I looked it up, and yeah, he's he plays Scotty. That's Scotty. So, oh, I never, I did not notice that. Yeah, I didn't even hear like a hint of an accent in there. Uh-uh. Yeah. I must have uh, taken away, taken or gotten rid of it for that. Yeah. So if, huh. if you guys should know that. Well, so then that means that. Okay, yeah, never mind. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, we hear the booming voice, and uh, he addresses Kirk, and it says that all of their questions will be answered in time. Uh, Kirk confirms with Uhura that their hailing frequencies are not open. He's like, is somebody like talking to us through the radio here? Like, Did we leave a channel open? <laughs> and uh, they did not. And the voice says that it is Sargon, and the energy of his thoughts has touched their instruments and led them there. Sargon sounds like a name from the Lord of the Rings, by the way. Yeah, he- he, you have the uh, the three evils, Sauron, Sauron, and Sargon. <laughs> How did he get way out here? Yeah, Sargon is uh, Sauron's lesser known brother. He wasn't really a great wizard. All he could do is like change the color of dirt or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he's a real shit wizard. <laughs> uh, but Kurt asks who Sargon is, but Sargon asks them to assume a standard orbit around the planet. And Kirk asks if that's a request or a demand, and Sargon's like, that's really up to you how you take that. But he says that he read their minds and that words are unnecessary. But then they continue to talk, so words are completely necessary <laughs> because that's all there is in this episode. I, I thought he meant that their words were unnecessary, implying that, like, so anything they thought he would know, but he had to say words to them because they wouldn't understand yeah. his thoughts. So when right, he says but words, obviously they need words the rest of the episode, yeah. otherwise we don't know what's going on. It's yeah. literally just the entire crew standing around and Sargon just responding to things that we don't ever get to hear them say. It's just a very confusing episode. That would have been <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> and very awkward. No, it wouldn't, I know because, it's really um, easy. I don't want to go on a tangent real quick, but uh, when uh, you watch, let's, uh, if you guys were Guardian of the Galaxy, when he says, I am Groot, and Rocket responds, you know what the I am Groot meant. Therefore, yeah, but if if yeah, but if he doesn't even say I am Groot and Rocket's just talking to him, then it's just it's weird. There's you no can context. Assume, context, sir. Context. You you at least get uh like a like I am Groot is said in a different way. Yeah, when he says you can at least pick up context from tone. Oh, so you okay? So you, there's so, nothing so you at all you said. The, so you need the I am Groot as in the, the context for the uh for the re- response. Yeah. Just for the, yeah, just like the tone of the conversation and the response, yes. I don't know. I don't think you need it. I, I think I think it'll work without the other person talking. I think I can assume what they what they meant by the by the I, response. I, I, I kind of fall in line with Brandon on this one. Like tone goes a long way. That's why like texting can be so confusing. Like that sarcasm. Are you being for real? Okay, but let's say. Oh, maybe we're about to go into big tension. Okay, let's say you there's a phone call, right? And you hear other only you only hear one side of the phone call. You can kind of assume the other side by the other side's tone and what and what's going on. So, like, you don't have to hear the other side of the phone call to know the phone call the person's getting because you can tell by the way they're looking or or the way uh, or what they're saying. You can tell you can tell what what, the, what other other people might be saying. See what I'm saying? That's how I feel about it. 
Okay, so here, I'm going to say nothing, right? I'm going to think something, and then I want you to respond to it correctly with the correct tone in a way that Dan okay, understands what it is this. that I said, I can't, okay? Listen, I can't read the mind, so I don't have the good response right now, sir. But, but, if, but if somebody, if somebody, if I'm sitting there like, man, listen, hold up. If I'm sitting there like, yo, man, I'll beat you up. And then you would be like, and, and what else? Okay, so it's like that then. All right, so what's going on now? Oh, so really? It's like that. See, by my tone, by, by what I'm saying, you can say the other person must be saying something wild because my tone dictates I must be hearing something I don't want to hear. You see what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, but that conversation you just gave an example to doesn't give any information. Like, oh, really? Say what? Like, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, no way. You, like, you, you can kind of assume what is the viewer what, what, what's in between that? there, though. Oh, get out of here. We're about to fight <laughs> you through the screen, bro. You can assume by my tone what's going on, man. No, I'm winning this, sir. No. No, no, no. Hey, for, uh, for, for all I know is that you're all hopped up on pop or something, and you're just super excited. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> like, you so know, an, you're like, I no just bought shit? some chips Two at the eggs? store right now. <laughs> Dude, I cannot believe we got into this tangent already. I, I apologize, <laughs> listeners. I overanalyzed everything. My brain is, like, super overanalyzing everything. So I probably I wouldn't have <laughs> tangent about nothing. <laughs> Well, oh, man, well what was not overanalyzed was the planet, and Kirk says that it's dead and that there's no possibility of life on there. And Sargon answers that the he's as dead as his planet. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we all feel that way, I guess. Uh, he asks if that scares Kirk and says that if they leave or if they let what's left of him perish, then mankind will perish as well. They They show Spock here, and he's just like, I'm not mankind. Like I'm a Vulcan. That's I'm cool. They could not perish. <laughs> <Whatever>. leave. <laughs> Which they never really touched on this either. They're just like, yeah, if you like leave my remains here, then your your entire race is done. We're like why? And what's he again, gonna do? I, is that I a threat or is that, that. A, is that like a prophecy? Or is it a promise? <laughs> or, or, or that like, a promise? I promise you, you are all done. Uh, yeah, we get the show opening from there. And we come back, the Enterprise is orbiting, and Kirk gives a captain's log just explaining everything that just happened. And he concludes his log by saying that he's going to risk potential danger and resume contact with the voice that he heard. So he asks Uhura how long Starfleet is it's going to take for Starfleet to get that log, and she says it's going to take over three weeks. Which I actually and like to address that, because I've always wondered, when they're sending messages back to you know Starfleet, how long does it take you know to get a message across you know the galaxy, then you know back to them? Right. And how do they even know where to send it? Like, there's no way it's perfectly, like, they can just send it straight to, like, a Starfleet satellite or something. Like, there would be so many things in the way when they're out there, all the way out in the middle of, like, uncharted space. Oh, they are just going to send out a random, random, completely interceptable signal. I think interceptable actually is a good thing, but if, if I intercept the signal, do I block it, or does it keep going if I intercept it? Like it, it, it keeps uh, going, right? I think it would keep going. Yeah, yeah. You can't not... just like take the signal. Yeah, like you can pick it up, but it's just gonna keep going. I, I guess they probably didn't think about the whole how d- distance and symbols or signals and how far you can re- take to receive something. So, yeah, I'm just gonna that. trust that it's sci-fi and they figured it all out <laughs> in sci- a way that I don't need to know about. It's a special Wi-Fi form that just goes forever. Just <laughs> yeah, them. yeah. They're on like Wi-Fi seven in the future. <laughs> Um, Spock calls uh, Kirk over to him and tells him that the sensors are registering some form of energy deep inside the planet. And Sargon, he's like, hey, your probes have touched me. <laughs> Which are really... <laughs> the like, goo, I like, like that. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> 
Spock continues by saying that there are no life forms there. Sargon says that he's locked their transporter onto his coordinates, and then he asks the crew to come rescue them from oblivion. Uh, Spock says that the energy is under at least 100 miles of solid rock, and Kirk starts to say that they can't transport down that far, but Sargon says that he'll make it possible for them to make it down there. So Spock's like, okay, well, I'm reading a chamber with oxygen-nitrogen atmosphere suitable for life support. How weird. And Kirk then has Uhura tell McCoy to report to the transporter room in 10 minutes with standard landing party equipment, which apparently is nothing. Like a tricorder and a phaser is standard landing party equipment. All you need. Yeah. But then you have the suit and two security guards, too. Yeah, they are also standard. I don't know why they're standard, but they are. Um, Spock wants to go with them, and he wants to inspect whatever it is they're dealing with, but Kirk doesn't want to risk them both leaving the ship. And uh, Kirk goes to leave, and suddenly the ship's power just shuts completely off, and nothing's working. So Kirk tells Spock, he's like, well, maybe Sargon would like you to go as well. Like, do you want to come with me? And Spock's just like, yeah. And then the power turns back on. So, uh, yeah, Kirk asks Spock to transport down to the planet, and then they just they go to the elevator. Uh, we go to the transporter room, and McCoy immediately starts complaining that he doesn't know what's going on. And Kirk's like, well, we only have guesses as well. He's like, oh, I didn't get a briefing. Like, you just told me to come down here. I don't know what the fuck is going on. Like, that's, that's pretty normal. And Kirk's like, yeah, we're in the same boat. You didn't hear the voice over the speaker? <laughs> right. Like, did you hear the loud, booming voice? Um, Scotty's really apprehensive about the transporter being set by some sort of alien, and he thinks that they could material uh, materialize inside of solid rock. He's just, I think he just really doesn't want anybody else touching his stuff, is the thing. Um, the Spock says that the coordinates car- correspond to the location of the chamber that he found, and Kirk thinks that uh, the being could destroy them while they're just standing there, uh, whether they want or, you know, if they like it or not. Um, he's like, we might as well just go because, you know, if it was going to kill us, it could just do it now. So then there's a woman behind them that speaks up and uh, Kirk wants to know who she is. And she introduces herself as Dr. Anne Mulhall, astrobiologist. And Kirk is immediately interested in her. Which because is how many we, we need to do a meter of how many women. <laughs> Shatner kisses different women he kisses on this show <laughs> uh, per season. How many new? Because no, it, 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 it'll, it'll be crazy. It's a crazy tally. I don't even know how many it is. But as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh, here we go, Kirk. I, I put him in the problem with this scene just for the sheer fact that I'd imagine Kirk would know everyone that's coming on his ship. That's yes. what, and that's what I wrote down too. I was really confused that he didn't know who she was. He asked who she was, and she had to explain herself who she was. I thought that Kirk would know everybody on the ship. I thought that too. Yeah, right. I there's only like 400 people on the ship like i, I know that seems like a lot but, but that's not. not a lot yeah actually, i feel like he would know everyone actually i saw it, uh, that uh plot point was actually going to have a bigger role in this episode like whatever this energy was like somehow it placed this person there without kurt knowing oh, that's where that, i was kind of going that with it would have been really really smart yeah. that would have been like uh oh my gosh i'm about to i'm about to show my super nerdism here but uh if you didn't see buffy the vampire slayer <laughs> One season, a character just shows up out of nowhere, and we're like, uh, she didn't exist for the whole first three seasons. And they got to find out they, they put in the show for a reason. But anyway, I don't want to ruin it for you guys if you guys want to watch it someday. But anyway, it just, it's funny. So it's funny you mentioned that because it reminds me of that. That that would be really cool. Yeah. If, if the, if Turns the, out he's just bad at his job, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, How did yeah, Kurt I, 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 I find a woman get by him also? Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, he's inspecting everyone that enters that ship. He's like attractive, attractive, eh, mildly <laughs> he attractive. A, he has a list. He has a list. Yeah. Attractive, not attractive. <laughs> like Butterface, oh, you're going to the engineering room. <laughs> you're going to engineering. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's evil. <laughs> that is mean. I 
I like to think that Kirk finds some form of attract, like something attractive about everyone. I think he's just <laughs> yeah. out there for for everybody. Well, we, ha- do, you we think he, but- do you think he likes Spock's ears? Then, like, man, if I can only touch those ears, probably. <laughs> He Let's might be honest. Want to nibble on them. There's never been a non-attractive person on this show, female on this show yet. Oh yeah, yeah, no, for sure. There, there's never been. I mean, there's some. They all been attractive. They've all been eight, nine, tens. There's, there's been nothing below an attractive yeah. woman on this show. Uh, so average people don't get to go to space. <laughs> you, have, you have to <laughs> be the very most beautiful. attractive to go to space. <laughs> you know, that sounds a little too close to reality, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out Starfleet is actually just like <laughs> a, a modeling, like a modeling show, <laughs> yeah. a modeling agency. <laughs> Yeah, you show up there and you're just like average. Yeah. They're like, no, I'm no, sorry. You can't come in next. Yep. Like, you're not Kirk Hot, so you can't go. Right. <laughs> yeah, he, he just showed up and they immediately made him captain. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Uh, but Dr. Uh, Anne says that she was ordered to report for the landing party detail. And Kirk's like, well, who the hell ordered you? And she's like, I don't know. I was just told to come here. And Spock says that she was likely ordered in the same way that Kirk was ordered to bring him along. And Kirk's like, all right, that 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 tracks. But Kirk knew, though. Like, he knew Spock was going to come along. <laughs> he wasn't, like, caught well, off guard by it. No, remember, well, no, he shut the like, power down. Spock, Spock is just, uh, yeah, Spock's just saying, like, you know, she was made to come here the same way that you were told to bring me here. Like, you were kind of forced in yeah, that Yeah, remember, because uh, oh, the power okay, shut gotcha. down for a minute to, like, when he wasn't going to take Spock. Yeah, when he go take when he go take shock, shock, uh, Spock the power shut down for a second because Sargon didn't want him to come. It was that Spock come again, then the power then power back up because Sargon was pleased. So I think yeah. it's more about whatever Sargon wants. Whatever he wants, he gets. Do, do you think kind of jumping ahead? Was he uh, scanning like the whole Enterprise to find an attractive woman? Like I'm yes. gonna find the most attractive woman because yes. I'm gonna make her my wife. Well, you think- given the context of that later in the show, yes, yes. absolutely. You, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you knew it immediately. It's, it, it's the, the first moment when we land on the ground and he said, "Y'all want to borrow your bodies?" I went, "Oh, of course, that's why I picked her." Like it wasn't a, yeah. it wasn't that big of a jump. He's like, "Y'all want the most yeah. attractive," and then he picked Kurt because he thought Kurt was probably one of the most attractive guys. Because, right? Uh, I mean, technically, it's the captain of the show, whatever. But like, he could have picked any guy he wanted. They could pick any girl he wanted. So you know, he's like, "Oh, I want Captain Kurt." Yeah, he so. he wasn't interested in the security guard. He's like, "I'm just gonna leave them behind." Yeah. No. Yeah. Kirk. Kirk's got. He's got the captain position. He's got the looks. He's in good shape. Yeah. Even though he's yeah. all chest. Because uh, Kurt does mention uh, <laughs> a little chest. bit later that um, he's like uh, they probably picked the people that are most physically ready for this. If so. Then, like, I think Kurt's whatever, but there's no way he's the most physical person on that ship. Like, the most right. physically strong. I mean, you got, I mean, they pick Spock, of course. Like, if I were Sargon. I mean, Sulu was fucking ripped. Yeah, if I, if I were Sargon and I was gonna pick the most, I would pick, I would pick the Vulcan quick. I, I'd pick uh, Spock quick first. Yeah. So, like, oh, yeah. it, it was, I don't think it had anything to do with the physical part. I think it had to do with uh, attractiveness to them and, and what he thought was pleasing to his wife. So, he literally just picked, the, yeah. picked Kurt and then picked the girl. Yeah, so they uh, they talk about how far down into the planet they're going, which is 112.37 miles, and they get in the transporter, and Sargon says that he's going to operate the controls, and then uh, Bones is still apprehensive, but he gets on the transporter anyway, and the transporter activates, but it only takes Kirk and Spock and McCoy and uh, Dr. Mulhall. And not security guards, security guards anyway. with them. Yeah, yeah. He's like, look, you guys are just gonna die. Like, not, <laughs> not even because of it. Like, I don't you're, want you're, you. You will anyway. find a way to die yeah. there. They get <laughs> like, your bodies, you would die immediately. Yeah, like, yeah. We yeah. know what you guys are useless. So, leave mine. Yeah. Like, not, we don't even want to kill you. You'll just find a way to get yourself killed. 
Like they'll trip over like be, a little like little corner piece and smash their head in the wall. It'll, it'll, be, yeah. it'll be something like that. That's exactly how it is. Or or they'll accidentally kill the entities. They're like, oh, what's this globe? And then they knock it over and it breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Guess it's made out of glass. Guess <laughs> it's made yeah. out of glass. Oh, we really hate security guards um, on the so- show. We really do. <laughs> they've they've been, there's been one person in two seasons that's been relevant. That one guy who fought the guy in the one corner. That's time. It's been so bad. Yeah, that one dude that yeah whooped some ass. Yeah, the one ever from- since that episode where the guy screamed rocks and then stepped on one and exploded, I, just, <laughs> I don't I don't I don't put any faith in them. <laughs> it rocks. You, you know, the sad thing is, if we were on Enterprise, at least my position would probably be more likely to uh, the security guard. Like I wouldn't be the the doctor or Bo- oh, or uh, sure, Spock's yeah. position, and definitely not Kirk's position. I'm, yeah, I'm probably I would hope take, that I get uh, relegated to uh, I think guy can- that's always in the cafeteria like i just like whenever every time they go to the cafeteria there's the same like 10 people there i want to be those guys no like, man I all right I, you're assigned to the enterprise what am i doing I, you're just gonna sit in the cafeteria you're gonna be on break right? everything so, so cool yeah overlines everything so i i guess i'll take uh spock's position i guess i mean <laughs> hey, he doesn't overanalyze he analyzes yes. the exact who's the overanalyzer who's the thinker around here we need we need somebody who uh, we, uh, we don't have an overanalyzer who thinks about stuff thinks about things multiple times think about the issue you know what i'll be doc yeah. He, well, Dr. Ann? Dr. Ann Mulhall? If I was off my high school days, I would go with the version be... of Scotty that we've made up. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking, I think I'll take Bones. That way I can be the one that's like, I, uh, I think about both ways, things go right and wrong. Well, unfortunately, the conversation that we had before we started recording today, I would probably get relegated to Kirk. I'd love to see you Kirk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Damn it. Yes, sir. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, so they beam to the planet, and Kirk gets a call from Scotty, and Kirk notes how he shouldn't be able to get a signal that deep into the planet, but he thinks that maybe that was arranged for them as well. And he asks about the security guards and if they're still on the ship, and Scotty confirms that they are and that they're doing just fine, so Kirk just hangs up on him. And reports that the atmosphere is fine for them, and Spock notes that the vault that they're in was constructed about a half million years ago, around the same time that the planet was destroyed. So Kirk then asks about the composition of the walls, and Spock's like, beats me, man. There's something I've never seen before. Yeah, those and he says that they're much stronger and harder than anything he's ever seen. I was about to say for, what, a half a million years? Those held up really good. Oh, yeah, perfect. And, and somehow there's no dust down there, which is also pretty amazing. Yeah, and they're still under warranty, which is crazy. I don't want to get to the end, like, my thoughts. One random question, though. Okay, so they... I had to wait to the end. I had to wait to the end for that. I got some. I'm writing it down, okay. so I'll, I'll forget. So Anne reports that the readings are off the scale, and McCoy thinks that the air must be recirculated somehow, and Kirk wonders if that's for them or if the beings that they're going to see need uh, fresh air as well. But then a door opens, and they step into a room with a big old glowing ball in the middle, and the ball uh, lights up every time it talks, and it introduces itself as Sargon. Spock asks Sargon if his tricorder would harm him if he did a scan. He's like, hey, can I scan you? And Sargon's like, yeah, dude, go for it. So Sargon says that the readings are going to show energy but no substance. And he says that the essence of his mind is sealed within the receptacle. And Spock confirms that. He's like, hey, there's energy here, but there's no substance. So McCoy suggests that Sargon had a body at some time. And Sargon calls them his children. He's like, my children, uh, I had a body just like yours. But he says that his people's minds were infinitely greater. He just insults them as soon as they get there. Like, yeah, we were really similar. Just you guys are dumb as hell. That's not, no. Spock's like, Spock's like man, this MF is spinning right now because I feel the same way about him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Spock's like, damn, my brother. 
Um, so Kirk wonders why Sargon calls them his children, and Sargon explains that it's possible that they're his people's descendants. And he says that 6,000 centuries ago, his people were colonizing the galaxy, and that uh, as Kirk and his crew leave their seed on distant planets, his people did the same. You can take that more than one way. And Sargon suggests that their legends of Adam and Eve were possibly uh, his own people traveling. So Anne says that their studies indicate that life on Earth evolved independently. And Spock says that it would explain certain elements of Vulcan prehistory, though. And Sargon's like, okay, well, maybe I don't know. <laughs> like, it seems like he really, uh, he <laughs> he's like, oh, well, our records were destroyed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like, I guess you guys are right because our records were destroyed. And he says that their records of travel were lost in the cataclysm that they loosened upon themselves. So Kirk asks if it was war, and Sargon's like, yeah, it was. It always is. And Kirk asks if maybe their intelligence wasn't so great. And he says that humans found themselves in a similar crisis in their nuclear age, but they found the wisdom not to destroy themselves. And Sargon's like, oh, yeah? Well, we also survived the nuclear era, but there comes a time... Uh, or there comes to all races an ultimate crisis which humans have not yet faced. He's like, so good job. Like, you made it past the first test. Let's see if you can do the next He's one. He's that one person that's yeah. always got to one-up your story. Like, hey, I did. we did this. Like, well, we did it also and better. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. there's many more challenges coming your way. Uphill both ways in the snow, too. <laughs> so Kirk doesn't understand, and Sargon explains that their minds became so powerful that they thought themselves as gods. Yeah, which, I mean, hey, that's Kirk's specialty, right? But Kirk asks Sargon what kind of help he needs, and then he stumbles back. He, like, gets real dizzy, and Stargon, uh, Stargon, yes, Sargon starts speaking through Kirk. So McCoy's like, hey, where's Kirk? And Sargon says that Kirk is unharmed, and that he's taking Kirk's body to demonstrate. So that's pretty messed up. <laughs> you gotta ask for consent first. <laughs> you can't just go snatching people's bodies like that. But he he knows he knows what type of person Kirk is. Like I could probably just take his body and he won't complain. Yeah, he read his mind. He he saw it was you know he might, he might be the one went said went went inside of him, and then you know I, I'm controlling him. I like McCoy here because he immediately pulls a phaser and he tells Sargon <laughs> to go back to wherever or whatever he was. He's like, I know you're in my friend, and, but I'll um, still shoot you. Uh, call back, guys. We had a conversation the other day on the last episode, and we were talking about, oh, why didn't I said, why didn't he pull out his phaser? You said, Doc, don't carry a phaser. He only carries a tricutter and stuff. Last episode, we got a debate about it, and he has a phaser. So, like oh, last yeah. episode, we were talking. Last episode, we we're talking about that. One of he carries, a, why didn't he pull his phaser out? And we we're talking about it because um, when the when the first um. A little Montutu, whatever the little white guy was, little white suit thing. He we attacked. We were talking about it, and then uh, we were talking about how we, we didn't think he had a, if he had a phaser or not. So obviously he carries phasers when he goes to, goes down to the planets. So, well, yeah. did he have one at that time, or did he pick up Kirk's off the ground? Like obviously he has one here, but I think that this is the first time we've ever seen him actually like pull one from his hip, isn't it? I don't know. That that that's the one thing about it. I'm not it's sure. It's weird that we never look at that. Yeah. We see him so much, and we never look at his hip. Yeah, yeah, we don't. <laughs> I, yeah, this is the it. first time I can remember him pulling it. So, like, I'm assuming that he's always carries one because it doesn't make any sense why he wouldn't carry one, even as right. a doctor. Well, it's it's kind of messed up if if this is the first time that he's pulled his phaser out. That he's like, yeah, I'm gonna shoot my best friend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's on his hip now, Kirk. so we see it. But I'm curious. Like, I I don't I don't, I don't want to go back a bunch of episodes and look, but I'm pretty sure he's always had one. I can't imagine a, yeah. a world where... I'm going to try to pay attention yeah, he doesn't, coming forward. Yeah, he don't travel with one. Spock asks McCoy what uh, or what McCoy will do if Sargon refuses. He's like, that's Kirk's body. Are you going to disintegrate him? 
And then Kirk, uh, he grunts, and Sargon takes over and talks about how he can see and breathe again. So, like, now he's, like, fully in that body. And he just kind of stiffly walks around like a robot and tells McCoy that Kirk has an excellent body. And then Anne's over there like, yes, I agree. He does have an <laughs> excellent body. Um, Spock asks what plan Sargon has for Kirk's body and if he can change places again if he wants. And Sargon says that Kirk is unharmed, but his mind doesn't generate enough energy to speak from there. So, like, he kind of hints that Kirk is in the uh, glowing ball now. And they take readings of Kirk's body, and McCoy notes that Kirk's body's heart action has doubled and his temperature is 104 degrees. And Anne says that Kirk is going to die if Sargon doesn't leave his body soon. So Spock asks what Sargon wants from them. And Sargon says that there are two receptacles of the other two people of his people that survived in the next room. And he says that Spock and Anne are going to have to give up their bodies so his people can live again. And then we go to a commercial break. We come back, and Sargon is still in Kirk's body, and he leads the crew into a room where there are some other receptacles on the wall, and two of those are glowing, and the other ones are just dark. Sargon says that half a million years was almost too long to wait, even for them. And he says that the survivors are named Henok and uh, Thalesa. He says it, I think he says it Thalesa, and Henok says Thalassa, I think. I'm going to assume he knows his wife's name, and that her name is Thalesa. I'm more surprised. Why don't you have, don't you have a nickname or something? Like... He said the Lisa. That's a lot of letters. That's a lot of the Lisa. Like I know that a lot of people. I, I like to shorten names. <laughs> like if I could, I like. Oh no! I just they've evolved beyond the point of pet names. And <laughs> names. <laughs> yeah, like this is Thea or something or. Yeah, I or, would definitely call Henock Henny. Like, Hen- yeah, I call him Hennessy. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> like I thought like I was like saying the Lisa to us would be one thing, but then when he talked to her. I, I thought that he would call her something shorter than that. Yeah. You know, like... Just pick a... She spells it T-H-A-L-A-S-S-A. So just pick a little bit out of that, and you can just call her ass. Hey, ass. <laughs> this guy over here. <laughs> Spock asks about the thing that killed the planet, and Sargon says that uh, only the best minds were selected to, to survive. So they never actually say what killed the planet. Like, basically, just like they thought that they were gods, planets over... And they were selected to to go on. And Thalesa is his wife. And Henak, Henak is from the other side of the conflict. And when they realized their mistake, they tried to perpetuate both sides. And they built the uh, chamber to preserve their essence. And they knew the seed that they had planted on other planets would take root. And the people would build ships and eventually go to where they were. So Spock asks about others being stored differently than Sargon and uh, asks if it was his task to remain in the other receptacle in the other room. And Sargon says that he had to research or he had to search the heavens with his mind. And one day his mind touched the Enterprise and brought them there. So that was his job was just to hang out in a little receptacle. Apparently he was like the strongest one and then just try to like get a hold of people. I mean, when you got nothing better to do than just, you know, search, you know, the universe. I mean, I guess a half a million years would go by pretty quick, right? Th- oh God, I would hope so. Because I'm telling you what, sometimes that, uh, at work, eight hours doesn't go by quick. <laughs> it's pretty crazy that it's a half million years. Just I think the concept of that of uh, I was just sitting there, just searching and searching and searching and searching, you know, for that many years. And I'm curious that uh, like did did he did he? I assume he became more powerful in that time while he was sitting there searching. I'm assuming he learned how to advance his so. mind further and further. Or, you got to do some like intense meditation and things, and or like just uh, unlock new powers. And then, uh, how far was his reach? Like, did it expand over time, right. or or was it like, or has it been this much the whole time? Because I find it highly uh, improbable 
that no ship has ever came this far. I know that I know that this is the first time like you have like the Federation has been there, but I'm saying like I know how big the universe is, but I can't imagine that like no ships ever came close enough for him to since. And, and maybe he was searching for years. maybe he was searching for what he saw uh would have been his descendants' offsprings, you know, seeding other worlds. Maybe he was looking for someone that looked human like. But this would imply that the Federation is as is the farest reaching uh like beings in the universe and nothing's been that, that far. You know what I'm saying? Or just that they're the only ones that have explored that specific section. I mean our solar system is how old and how many other ships have come to Earth? Well, I, we don't know because they they lie no, to don't us. Don't you start this alien no, conspiracy don't, don't, bullshit? Because they're lying to us, man. The answer to that is don't, zero. Don't get me started. There, the, the answer is not uh, zero. There's the, a possibility. The, the, the answer is, is, is not zero. That's improbable. It's way improbable that we don't person exists in the universe. Don't do that now. It's improbable, okay? There's no, no way. I'm not saying we're the only ones. I'm asking how many of their ships have come to Earth. And I'm and telling tell you they have, and zero. we just don't know. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it's an, an impossibility uh-huh. that it will ever happen. I'm saying currently, I am confident in it. saying Cur- that it Currently, I'm confident what you've been told, sir. Don't get me started on this, man. I, I would like to point out the Sumerians talked about aliens and ufos coming to this world don't get me started they, they, they literally wrote it down in their in their text because it was so don't, important don't get me started so there's definitely so, no, and the on. ancient greeks talked about insane gods like <laughs> did that stuff actually happen uh i don't know if if an alien came and it had got like and it was like uh you know i'm gonna start to get you guys right now but if aliens came and they had, they had, they had weapons they and understand. abilities that you couldn't understand you may perceive them as gods therefore there could have been gods they could have been aliens visiting here and they thought, thought of them as gods there you go don't get me started on aliens, make guys. Up stories. Don't get me started. <laughs> if we're gonna believe all of the stories, then that means that the X Men are running around in New York somewhere. No, that's no, that's not. That's the whole. <laughs> because that's it's made, possible that's a, that's that somebody has mutated DNA. No, and they're they're a mutant. No, there are people. There are people that exist that are superhuman beyond beyond capabilities that we don't know about. There's a guy that's the fastest guy in the world. Nobody knew. Nobody ran that fast, so it happened. There's a guy that jumps so high right it? now. Nobody, nobody, nobody jumped that high, so it happens. So Anne accuses them, not Anakin, Anne accuses them of doing, uh, bringing them there to steal their bodies. And Sargon says that they only want the crew to lend their bodies for a short time. And McCoy says that the bodies will be destroyed like Kirk's is being destroyed right now. And Sargon says that he'll return the bodies before their limit is reached. So Spock asks Sargon uh, why he wants their bodies. And Sargon explains that they want to build humanoid robots. And Spock deduces that they want to put their minds into the mechanical bodies. And I'm like, son of a bitch. I've been saying this whole time since what our little girl's made of in season one that they should have taken the damn mechanical bodies, the <laughs> android bodies, and they could have done that here and then just had some backups to give these guys. But no, they didn't take the damn android bodies. I will die on that hill. They should have taken those bodies. That's one episode I didn't get to see, by the way, people, because I still didn't go back and watch it. That's one of the episodes I wasn't here for, so... Yeah, they ran into people that uh, were like living underground and offered them android, like android bodies, basically just unkillable forever bodies. And they were like, no, we, we can't allow this to exist. And then they like messed everything up and destroyed it all. Oh, they didn't take the android bodies. Or at least take the uh, technology to make them like easily. Yeah. And that actually. Uh, comes up right here because Anne asks Sargon why their engineers and technicians can't build the bodies and Sargon says or no Anne asks why like you know the Federation engineers and technicians can't build the bodies for them and Sargon says that their methods and skills are beyond the humans abilities and like 
No, they're not. We we saw that they can do that. They have that technology. Like it was already a thing. Yeah, but maybe they're talking about the advanced advance, okay? The super advanced. Like you think whatever you think an Android is, they're talking about the super Android 17 level Android that you don't know how to make yet. I feel like they could at least take the human made ones until they can build their own, right? Like you don't have to be snatching bodies. They've waited a half a million years. What's you know, what's a little bit longer just waiting to get, you know, Normal Android bodies and like perfect Android bodies. But you're also on a perception that their mind can be put in the 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 the, the hard drive side of the mind of the androids they had these all created. Like their mind is so I mean, advanced that they've already they, they've went into they they put their own mind into the into the the ship the, the planet ship. Do you know how big the hard drive is for the planet ship? You know, so I'm assuming that their mind is so big that maybe the concept of uh, using the Whatever Android you're talking about isn't big enough to hold their brain. Well, I'm going to jump to the end here, and Sargon literally put his brain in the Enterprise, so I feel like he'd be fine in an Android body. And and that had how big's the hard drive for the Android body? If the ship's if the ship is like I don't think it's a storage space. If the ship was like one terabyte, right? And the and the mind's like and and then the mind's like you know a a million ter oh not million like ten ten gigs, not a big deal. But if the if the Android system name then the other Androids only is only like nine gigs, then he can't put his brain into that. That we don't know how big the other brain is, man. I don't I don't think it's a storage space thing. Well, no, look, the human brain is the human brain is a hard drive, pretty much. That's what, that's what pretty much that's what, we're a computer. So he, he put his shit in a glowing ball. I think he'll be okay. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know how you don't you don't know how powerful that ball is. Think about it. Okay, so you're about to get man. This I did not think we get this deep on the show. Like you got to think about it. So he's in a little ball, right? He can reach all the way across space and time to get to them. Uh, he That's can, not because he can, of the ball. Can, That's because can, of him. No, I'm saying so. You got to that ball has to be able to hold all that that knowledge and take the, all that information and power, whatever it is. So like it, it has to be super powerful because he has to hold this power in there. He can he can change his whole planet. They can they can make the air right for them. They can do all this stuff, whatever. So you got to think that as powerful, his brain must be so powerful that that ball must be able to hold a ridiculous amount of information in it. So then that means that the ship is as powerful as the ball. Oh, because uh, yeah, he like puts that. his consciousness in the ship. Uh, okay, and and that just would seem unreasonable because mm-hmm. that would be. If if we're talking about power scaling here, then that would be a very very ridiculously powerful ship. Unless like they would have, he, he they wouldn't took, have to have the technology. He, he to build changed that. the ship's thing to be able to hold his brain. He changed it himself. Then he can do that to the fucking android body. <laughs> no, don't do that. No, he changed it. He changed it to be able to hold it. Oh man, we're overanalyzing over here, man. We're done. We're done with this conversation. I quit. I quit this show. Speaking of being I done, I quit everything. I'm slamming the table. I am. I'm unplugging everything. I am out of here, sirs. Oh, my goodness. Uh, speaking of being done, uh, Kirk in Sargon, well, Sargon in Kirk's body uh, falls over, well, almost falls over, and McCoy and Spock catch him, and Sargon says that it's time, and that then they take him back to the main room, and then you hear a high-pitched sound, and Kirk's mind is transferred back into his own body, and then McCoy scans him and finds that all of his vitals and everything are returning to normal. So Spock asks Kirk if he remembers anything about what happened, and Kirk explains that Sargon borrowed his body and... He was floating in time and space, and he says that he and Sargon exchanged as they passed each other and that they were one for an instance. And he says that he knows what Sargon is and what he wants and that he does not fear Sargon anymore. I, I felt in that, uh, that little dialogue, I'm like, is Sargon, is that the closest anyone's ever gotten to Kirk emotionally? And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I became one with Kirk. 
And also, as they passed on their way back, like when they switched back, Sargon's like, "Man, you keep a lot of horn in that brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you really need to clear that out. You think I'm a like your body? Yeah. Uh, so Sargon is just Captain Ginyu, yeah. Yes. Just run around, body changing. Yeah. Put him in a frog. Don't get started, uh, Paul. Gets... Gets, you, know, <laughs> you saw me. I'm letting it go. Don't get me started, dude. I'm letting it go. Uh, McCoy gets angry, and he says that it's ridiculous, and that the alien hijacked his body and corked him into a bottle. And Anne agrees with, with McCoy at this point, and she says that Kirk could be suffering from a false euphoria. So Sargon tells them to go back to their ship, and uh, everyone he says that everybody that's going to be involved in this has to agree to it. And he says that after all these centuries, he can wait a few more hours. So McCoy asks what happened if they refuse to help. And Sargon says that they can go as freely as they came, which they didn't really come there freely. They were kind of forced into orbit and, like, forced to go to the planet. <laughs> but anyway, he's willing to let them go. Um, so, I mean, at this point, if you guys are Kirk or you guys are the crew, are you letting him borrow your body for a little bit while you float no. around in time and space? Uh, yes. Hell no. I, I, yes. I, I, I might have grabbed that bulb and just thrown it on the ground like, that's what you get. <laughs> wow! Are you, you about to kill a person? That's a person, bro. <laughs> well, it's not really a person. It's just living no, it's energy. A, it's the, it's a, it's still a person, man. Hey, oh, I did man. not consent to him taking over my body. I have the right <laughs> to destroy him. Yeah, but then, but see, but then he, first thing, first he, first he made him. They took over to demonstrate it, and then but they could do it forcefully if they wanted to. Anyway, if they really wanted to. Like so, they, they asked for, for for permission, which is more I, than I, I could say for a godlike creature. I was really surprised, by the way. I, I will say yes. I, this whole episode, I was waiting for that shoe to drop of him to betray all of them. Right. Yeah, I, I, I was yeah it was really thing. weird that we we hit an episode where it's just a genuine like plea for help, and there's no like ulterior motive. Yeah. Um, but yes, I would I would probably help out after that. I'd be like, okay, yeah, you can borrow it for a little bit, just like you know, take care of it. I don't know. Maybe while you have it, do like some push-ups or something. That way, when I get it back, it's in better shape than when you took it. Um, I'm curious. <laughs> I don't um, have to do the work. Does he? Does Kurt? I'm not. I can't remember. Right? Does Kurt say how he felt when he was switched? How? It no, felt? just that he was floating, floating through time, time and space. space I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm just curious how that felt. I wish you would. I wish you would describe it. I wish you would describe how that how that was or how uh, uh, what what he was doing or what his mind did or what place he went. I'm I'm just curious. Right. He probably physically he probably feels about the same as Scotty every night when he goes to lay down and takes a bunch of pills. <laughs> Scotty floats through time and space all the time. Why he's so smart. I like to believe that he's the god of this universe and he just is humbly working on a ship. Humbly working just to be there. <laughs> yep. Like uh oh man, that's funny. Yeah, so we go back to the ship and Kirk and Spock and Scotty and Anne and McCoy are all having a meeting and they basically explain the situation to Scotty, and Kirk explains that it's a simple transference of their minds and the aliens. And he wants Scotty's approval since he'll be working with them and giving them everything that they need to make the android robots. And Scotty would be working with the aliens in the crew's bodies. So McCoy doesn't like it, but Anne says that it's a scientifically fascinating. And at this point, I was like, is she going to give up her body permanently? Like, is, is there going to be a point where she's just like, yeah, you can just keep this thing? Because, like, scientifically, this is nuts. I thought I thought that might happen, honestly, too. I did, too. Yeah, surprised it did not go that way. 
Uh, Ms. Baca explains that once they get their mechanical bodies, the aliens can leave their planet and use their knowledge to help mankind leap ahead by 10,000 years. So Kirk tries to convince Bones and Scotty by saying that they could provide extraordinary advances in medicine and engineering, like a starship engine the size of a walnut. <laughs> Scotty's really hung up on that. He's like, the size of a walnut? Like, <laughs> like impossible. <laughs> yeah, but like he's into it. Uh, McCoy still argues against it, not wanting to give up the bodies of a captain and the second in command. And Kirk says that the aliens selected them as the most compatible bodies. So McCoy asks Anne what she thinks. And she's willing to host one of the aliens for scientific purposes. She's like, yep, let's do this. Scotty is really fixated on the Starship engine the size of a walnut. And he's like, I really want to see diagrams of that. Like he's, <laughs> it's so simple in, in that he's like, uh, yes, I just want to see a cool-ass engine. So Kirk then tells McCoy that he can stop everything by saying no. And he says that that's why he called everyone together, because he wants a unanimous decision. And McCoy says that the only thing that he wants to know is why they should do it with all of the potential danger that's there. And then Kirk gives probably the best speech to date in this series, where he talks about all the things that mankind thought were impossible, but they did anyway. And he says that he could order them to do this, but he won't because McCoy is right in pointing out that there is potential danger in any contact with life and intelligence as advanced as Sargon and his people. But he also wants to point out that the potential for knowledge and advancement is equally as great. And he says that the risk is that risk is their business, and that's what the starship is all about, and that's why they're aboard it. And then he says that uh, they can dis- they can dissent without prejudice, so basically they can go against him, and he's not going to punish them. And uh, he asks if there are any negative vo- votes, and they look around, and nobody votes no. And he tells them to stand by to beam aboard three receptacles. And it was br- what a brilliant. Ri- the probably was. Uh- why I got nominated for written because that that one moment right there was written so well. It was really done well, you know. Standing ovation yeah. for that part is really good, well, and really written written well. And it kind of just and it kind of sums up life in a great way of like everything. Every advancement we had in science has been because somebody has taken a great risk, and um, everything we've done in life, even to even today, took a great risk. And then the reward has been either great, uh, you know, the atomic bomb, or bad the atomic bomb, or great atomic energy. You know, like, it just been, you know, big risk, and uh, that's just life in general. Yeah, not only very well written, but expertly delivered by Shatner as well. Yeah, he, very he, well his acting in this whole episode has been good. Honestly, like, even when he acts yes. like a robot and that like the body, and even when the, even when he's talking, it's the other voice or whatever. Like, it all just seems to fit very well. Very So. Yeah. Um, so we go a little bit later and Spock and Kirk and Anne are on beds with the receptacles near them as McCoy explains to Nurse Chapel what's going to happen with their bodies and he says that they're ready to go and then Kirk tells Sargon that they're good to go. So the high-pitched noise happens again and the orbs start to glow and uh, the glowing subsides as the everybody's minds are switched. So Sargon is in Kirk's body and he says that the transfers is complete and uh, Nurse Chapel notes their vitals. And then Hennock awakens in Spock's body and tells Chapel that she's a lovely female and a pleasant sight to wake up to after half a million years. I was like, fuck, dude. <laughs> she is. She's like, well, it's not really Spock, but it is Spock's body. So good enough for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Eventually, they got to get eventually one of these seasons. They got to be together. I don't know. It, just, it seems like it's, it's like a hidden thing that it keeps happening over time. Eventually, I'm assuming they're going to be together. I don't know. It's got to happen. Right. Um, I 
God, I don't know. We only have a season left. You think it's going to happen? I'm not sure. Maybe in the movies. <laughs> maybe in the movie? Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe in the movie. Um, so Thalesa wakes up in Anne's body, and she finds Sargon and uh, approaches him. So, you know, it's Anne in Kirk's body, and uh, says that she's not displeased. And Kirk's body is unlike Sargon, isn't unlike Sargon's old one. And he says that he is also pleased, and then they make out. Um, so Henok approaches them and says that they seem to have been given, he seems to have been given the best body, telling McCoy that he's surprised that the Vulcans never conquered the humans. And McCoy explains that the Vulcans worship peace above all. And Henok's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, we, we totally do too. At this yeah. point, I'm like, he is going to be an issue. Yeah. I put hater immediately. I put hater. He's not good at this body. You know what's weird? Seeing Spock smile. Was very yes. very. Oh, it's so it, weird. It, it looked like he was like an evil. Like he looked yes. evil smiling. So I it's was uncanny. like, "Yo, this guy's definitely a hater." I don't know why. I just like I like this guy's a hater. I put a hater immediately. Like he's definitely Actually, keeping yeah. his body. Actually, to jump ahead when the uh, when Ahura is just screaming out of nowhere, I'm like, "Is Spock just smiling at her and just scaring the pants off of her?" Because <laughs> yeah. like, he's smiling. Like, Stop it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like it's definitely one of the episodes. I'm like, that's what I think. Like. Like the episode has a lot of those moments where it's like, yo, this is really good, really entertaining. And I just, Spock smiling at me, just, I don't know why I wasn't it's smiling. Really yeah, just weird. Yeah. He, he just looks weird as the actor. Even as the actor, him smiling looks weird. Everything about this, maybe just the, the character and the way he's been the whole episode, I don't know. But I, I want to see Lil Nemo smile in real life. I need to see a smile at him in real life, see if I get freaked he, out too. He looked more evil in this episode than the, uh, the parallel universe where he had to goatee. I was just going to say, I want mirror universe smiling goatee spot. <laughs> so yeah, evil. Just real weird. Yeah, so Thalesa and Sargon, they start to faint, and McCoy helps them back into bed. And it tells Henok that he should also get in bed, but Henok says that the Vulcan body is already accustomed to the higher metabolism. Because Spock's perfect in every way. And McCoy tells Sargon that it, it won't work and they need to get out before Kirk and Anna are killed. Or Anne, not Anna. Um, he agrees and he says that they'll leave until McCoy can administer a metabolic re- reduction injection. And McCoy's like, a what? And Henock says that uh, he'll prepare the formula for him. So Sargon asks about Henock's condition and he says that he can continue in that body for several hours. And Sargon and then Thalesa vacate the bodies and go back to their orbs. Uh, Henock wants Nurse Chapel to help them, and uh, he takes her to the pharma- pharmacology laboratory, is what they call it. I thought it would have been like a pharmaceutical thing, but I guess that pharmacology is different. And McCoy tells Kirk that it was too close and that he barely got back alive and that they can't risk it again unless this formula works. So we go to the lab, and Henock has made the formula and explains to Chapel how to use it, and she has to inject them every hour. And he hands her a hypo, which is basically like their... It's, I'm gonna. It's just their needle. So uh, he hands her one for Thalesa, and then one for himself, and then one for Sargon. And Nurse Chapel says that the one for Sargon doesn't contain the same formula. And Henock's just really open about this. He's like, "Yes, that's correct." And since he's going to arrange for her to do the injection, nobody else is gonna notice. And she's like, "But Kirk is gonna die without the formula." And then Henock just grabs her face, and he's like, "Okay, what were you saying now?" And she gets really, really confused and says that she forgot what she was saying. And he's like, okay. So he tells her that she's going to say that she watched him prepare the formula and fill each of the, or fill each hypo. Uh, So she says that she'll tell McCoy that each one is properly filled for each patient. And Henock explains that Sargon wouldn't permit him to keep Spock's body. So she has to kill Captain Kirk so that Sargon will die with him. And we go to commercial break. He's just like super open about it. 
but also it's kind of a weird jump for him to make. Like there is no indication that Zorgon was like, yeah, I want Spock's body. Like he could have chose to have Spock's body right off the bat if he wanted to. Right. Yeah, but I, but uh, I, it's, it's backwards. I think he meant like uh, you're thinking that Sargon wanted Spock's body. No, what what the Hinaka saying is let him keep Spock's body. You know because Hinaka wanted to, he was going to keep Spock's body, not that Sargon would want it for himself. Yeah, Hinaka wants to keep Spock's body, but he knows that Sargon would not let him. Uh, so the, if he can kill Sargon, then he can keep Spock's body. Sargon seems pretty rational. I don't see him like hey. You, uh, well, in the contents of at this point of the episode where he's, where he, I'm still kind of waiting for them to double cross them, I'm like, wait a minute, like Zargon seems pretty reasonable. Oh, yeah. Why wouldn't uh, he? Okay, for you, see, you thought Zargon was going to betray him, and he and they were going to be fighting over who gets the key spot's body. That's, so yeah, that's the way I took it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is more about him wanting the key spot's body, and he knew Sargon was was a good was the good yeah, guy. Yeah, Sargon's that, gonna say no. That's not right. That's not your body to keep. That that makes sense because later on in the episode, he's trying to convince her, like, hey, we should just keep these bodies because they're yeah, awesome. Yeah. And he yeah. and he kept it's, saying that Sargon would be not against it because Sargon's kind of the the more peaceful guy. He's like, oh, I'll get rid of Sargon because I want to keep these keep these bodies. And it's completely expected because when have we had or come across a new being or person in this series that doesn't do something, you know, like bad or like double cross them in some way? It's really weird for them to just have like a straight good guy, like being here. A good guy. Like, I, I thought for sure. Yeah, very, I thought it, for sure that it, he was going to be rare for them to run into pe- people with really peaceful intentions. They've been a yeah. few times here and there, very, very rarely. But like, uh, and we and we automatically don't trust them. Like, hey, this person's well, we've been, we've been conditioned not to this entire <laughs> series. We, yeah, we get to trust them in life. That's life, man. You don't trust. <laughs> that's just a life a life lesson. Yeah, you can't trust anything. So, like, yeah, I understand exactly what. Uh, I understand where everybody come, is coming from, including Bones. Um, speaking of McCoy, he. We come back from the commercial break, and he's giving a medical log, and he explains the situation, and he says that the android body construction is underway, and he can't see a reason for concern, but it's filled with foreboding. Uh, and he, it's it's funny as he's doing this, he's just like standing in the in the room where all of the orbs are, and it's got to be weird to just be hanging out with these orbs that contain your friend's consciousness in there, like. Your friend's like entire being is just in these orbs, and he's just hanging out with them. I'm assuming. Do you think he's sitting there to protect them because he's worried about them getting getting hurt? Probably part of that, yeah. I think Probably some monitoring a, and like just doesn't want to leave there. Yeah, it's the thing where anybody I, can walk in and just. Smash I don't it. know if we, do we ever see him outside outside this room at all. The whole this um, whole time, a few times, yeah, a few times. But he's pretty. He's always in the area. He's like the next room over. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Yeah, one he's, point he's, he's always, leaving he's a little close. bit later. He's up leaving. Or whatever, but I just I'm curious if the, most of the time he's actually in the room watching the uh, what watching the orbs or whatever. Right. Yeah. So Thalesa and Sargon are working on their android bodies as Anne talks about uh, a day that they spent together in a a long time ago. I guess Anne being Thalesa at this point, and then Henok walks in and Sargon says that it's best that they not remember so well. And Henoch says that in two days, Thalesa will have her own mechanically efficient, quite human-looking hands, but they'll be without feeling. And he says that uh, she should enjoy this taste of life while they still can. Sargon says that their minds will survive, and as androids, they can move among the living people and teach them not to make the errors that their people made. So then he gets really weak for a second, but he comes out of it, and he says that his next uh, injection is going to renovate him. So I really like... Kind of how like 
they have his character set up because she's just like touching all over him. She's like, yeah, this is great. Like, remember all that time he spent together? And he's like, don't get used to it. Because like, he's very committed that they are not staying in those bodies. Yeah. Like, he just seems like a solid being, I guess. Yeah, like he's just like, like I made a commitment. I'm going to stick to my word. And you can yeah, say, uh, like, you know, little Hennock, little Vulcan boy is over here just like, you know what? Um, He's just sneaky. Like, you can tell yeah. from the beginning he's been sneaky about it. And he keeps like trying to like temp- tempting them with the idea of a uh, of betrayal. I just I'll get into it later, but it's really it's really deep. Yeah, so later uh, McCoy asks Chapel how their latest meta- metabolic readings look and she says that they're fine or that they're excellent and they're well within normal and she seems really out of it. So McCoy asks her if something is wrong and she says that she had something to say but she can't seem to remember what it was. So McCoy asks if it's about their patients and she's like, "Yeah." And uh, she says that she's pleased the way that they're responding to the formula and that it's working perfectly. So McCoy offers to do do the last few injections so that she can go get some rest, but she refuses. And then we go elsewhere and Thalesa is looking at herself in a mirror as Scotty walks in. And she asks if he's prepared the Megaton uh, Hydro Coils. And he asks how something like that, or how something that looks like a drop of jelly will make their machine work. And he says that they're going to need some micro gears and some sort of pulley that can do what muscles do. And she's like, that would be highly inefficient. And he insists, he insists that it won't work. And then Hennock comes in and says that it'll have twice the strength and agility of Scotty's body. And it's going to last a thousand years, assuming Scotty stops wasting her time and lets her work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scotty just leaves at this point. He's like, well, damn, I, I can tell when I'm not wanted. Right? Like, I'm just, he's done. Tell me my ideas are dumb. <laughs> Tell me to leave them alone. I'm going to go smoke some pot in my room. He's like, I've literally helped us time travel before. How dare you right. question my intelligence? I yeah, I feel like very... Scotty's the one guy you want helping there. Well, actually, I find it interesting that um, it's like, like when you, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you, how can I say this right? I'm getting tongue tied. When your mind can only do things one way and it can't even think outside the box. So, like, to him, you need to have a muscle pulley to make things move. To her, there's a whole other way of making things making things move. And and he's, his, his mind is, very, even though he thinks he's thinking really complicated, his mind is really, really simple. So I think it's kind of cool that they, um, this whole idea of them making the bodies and him looking at it like, oh, that's not going to work. I said, no, it is going to work. But your brain can't even perceive the way it's going to work because you're you're limited by your your way of thinking by you, limited think, by your way of thinking. I think he's just limited by his the technology that he knows. Like she's building something that's you know a half million years more advanced than what he's used to at that point. Which is exactly why I would want him there. Be like, hey, learn everything about this process that you can. Like maybe we can find a way to put that to use later. Maybe that would that would be smart. Or, or like Sar- Sargon would have been like, hey, you should come watch me do this. So you can understand. Yeah, like help it. if you can, but if you can't, shut up and watch. Like learn some stuff. That would have been okay. I like that idea. That's a yeah. good idea. They could have put it here where like Sargon kind of teach Scotty as he was building it. That would have been cool, actually. Yeah, but it's a good idea. When Scotty leaves, Henoch tells Thalesa that they're making a thousand-year prison, and when it wears out, they're going to build another one and lock themselves into that one for another thousand years, and they're just going to do it over and over again. And he thinks that Sargon has closed his mind to a better way with the bodies that they're currently using. Delace is like, well, these are not our bodies. So he holds her and talks about how nice it is to l- breathe and live and feel again uh, when she awoke in that body. And he asks if the bodies are too much to ask for return or to ask for in return for what they can do for mankind. 
and asks if she'd prefer the android body. And she says that she's starting to hate it. And she quickly walks out, which is also kind of like it's evil. Yes, to steal somebody's body. But if you use it for like extreme, like the extreme good of basically all living beings, like that's not a very high price to ask, I guess. But I wouldn't be the one losing my body. That's just so defying really that an evil action. That's like you can't do you can't do something evil than to do something good. If you're Robin Hood, you're still a thief. You could just put Spock in the android body. He'd probably be cool with that. <laughs> wouldn't have to yeah. eat anymore. The eating is incredibly inefficient. He wouldn't wouldn't have to do any of that. Spock might actually prefer an android body. He basically has one now, but he just has to feed it. See, see how you can get around this is you find people who are on death row who are going to die yeah. anyway. They're like, hey. You can better ma- mankind by giving up your body to these weird alien creatures. Yeah, somebody out there would be willing to give up their body for that, I feel like. Like, I don't think you would have to steal one. I feel like somebody would willingly sacrifice their being for the good of all living things in the universe. But elsewhere, uh, Sargon calls McCoy into the sick bay and asks him to come to the Deck 6 briefing room. Or not into the sick bay, calls McCoy at the sick bay and asks him to come to the deck six briefing room. And then uh, Thalesa walks in and she asks him what's wrong, but he says he's just fatigued. And she notices that he's looking over Henock's formula and he says he wanted to be certain that there was no error, but he says that it, it's all correct. And he gets up and says that he feels better already. And then he almost falls over. So she says that a host body will become accustomed to them in time and uh, they'll no longer need the injections. And he says it'll take months or years, and they don't really have that choice. So she touches his face and tells him to feel the touch of her hand. And he pulls it away, and he's like, no, my beloved. And he says that they shouldn't torment themselves. And she's like, well, what does beloved mean to a machine? And he's like, well, our our thoughts will still be intertwined. And she gets close to him and asks if they'll intertwine like that. So she's like, oh, yeah. You know, uh, even when Kirk is being possessed, he's still getting lucky. Yeah, the dude just never stops winning. Uh, yeah, she asks if uh, if they can get if they're you know they can intertwine or get close like that, and then she asks if robot lips can do this, and she kisses him, and uh, cool he falls on the too. floor. Yeah, uh, he falls down to the floor as McCoy and Chapel enter the room, and Chapel injects him as Thalesa pleads for McCoy to help him, and then McCoy just stands up and says he's dead. <laughs> we we go to commercial break. She killed him with a kiss. She's a black widow. So we uh, we come back and McCoy gives another medical log asking if uh, he should list one death or two. And he explains that when Kirk's body died, Sargon was too far from his receptacle to transfer back. And that Sargon is dead, but is Captain Kirk dead? And his body is dead, but his consciousness is still in the receptacle. So yeah, they wouldn't know how to get that out. Uh, McCoy and uh, and the others work on Kirk's body and... They get his vital organs working, but McCoy says that they can only keep them working for a week or for a few weeks or a month at most. Elsewhere, uh, Henock is working on an android body, and Thalesa asks why he's pretending to work on it if he never intended to leave Spock's body. And let me tell you that I know that's just a dude, but that's an ugly android body. It's got yeah. got no hair, and it's all like greasy and just weird looking. <laughs> he's not done with it yet. He hasn't he hasn't added the extras yet. He's got he got to get those features. Yeah, um, which actually. Is that's uh, what he talks about here. Uh, Hennock says that the android body is the Lace's new home, and when he's done, he'll add some female features and texture. And he continues working for a second, and then he says that it's ready. And she says no. And he says that she doesn't have an excuse to keep the the real body anymore. 
And uh, Sargon would have required that she enter the android immediately. And she says that she can't live in that thing. So basically she's like, the whole reason I was even doing this was for Sargon and he's dead. So now I'm keeping this body. Uh, uh, so- uh Hinox's, um like tone and like his little snarkiness as he's doing it is like so unspock. Like he just, he's so evil. Everything he does, man. Like Little Nemo yeah. is a really good actor. Like, how did this guy get selected to continue to live on in an orb? Yeah, <laughs> I feel like they could have picked better ones. Well, no, no, I, I, I'm gonna assume that at the fi- uh, five hundred thousand years, he slowly, at first, he was something else, and then eventually, yeah, probably after time, man, you kind of lose it, and once you, and once you get a taste of that life again, you're like, I'm not giving it up. I, I actually understand his point. I actually, I understand exactly. I get his point exactly, and I don't think he's intentionally evil i just think that he wants really wants to live yeah and i just you know i just i really i really i really think it's cool i appreciate it i feel like in the context of like the show in the universe i would probably be cool with an android body even if you can't feel anything because you have to imagine that eventually technology is going to advance to the point where you probably can feel things in an android body yeah i feel like i would be willing to endure that until you know you didn't have to anymore versus stealing somebody's living body i'm more surprised that they are not able to put feelings on android body yeah like all the things they can do i think that's confusing i do have a solve for them which i'll bring up later to solve everything but yeah i just i think it, it was very very confusing yeah um so we go to the sick bay and mccoy's watching kirk's body as the lisa walks in and she asks if he would like to save Kirk. And she explains that they have many powers that Sargon didn't permit them to use because he thought they'd be too tempting for them. So she goes on to say that Anne's body pleases her and that she intends to keep it. And McCoy assumes that Henock plans to keep Spock's body as well. And she says that Henock's plans are his own affair and she wishes to exist in peace as a woman. McCoy assumes that she's asking his approval, but she says that she only requires his silence and that only those two are going to know about it. So she asks if uh, that's worth saving Kirk's life. And she says that they can take what they want and that nobody's going to be able to stop them either way. So McCoy says that neither he or Kirk can trade a body that they don't own and that hers belongs to a young woman. Delisa argues that McCoy hardly even knows Anne. And uh, McCoy says that he's not going to peddle flesh. He's a physician. He's he's like, damn it, I'm not a flesh peddler. I'm a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) But man, Bones is spot on this episode. Oh yeah, yeah, he's yeah. real solid. Um, so she asks how uh, that's contrast to what they are, and uh, she's basically like, "Yeah, we're pretty much physicians too." And she calls him a prancing savage medicine man, and she says, "How dare you defy the one, or how dare you defy one that you should be on your knees worshiping?" And she says she could destroy him with a single thought. And he's like, "I don't prance, by the way." <laughs> yeah, not very often, not anymore. His knees don't let him. So McCoy, uh, he starts glowing purple, and he's writhing in pain, and then Thalassa makes it stop, so Thalassa. Uh, she approaches McCoy and says that Sargon was right, and the temptations within a living body are too great, and she asks for his forgiveness. So she had a really, really fast change of heart. She's like, I'm going to destroy you. Actually, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, she's, she's like, uh, uh, what are the Sour Patch Kid? First she's sour, then she's sweet. <laughs> uh, suddenly, Sargon starts talking. He's back. He says that he's pleased that she found the truth for herself. And she asks where he is, and he explains that he has power that even Henoch doesn't suspect. She holds her head and says that she understands. So just as they would have placed their consciousness in robots, Sargon placed his into the Enterprise. So he is now the ship. That, 
Uh, you know, they, they could have just rolled with it like, hey, just let him be the voice of the ship and he could like be talking to the Kirk off and on. Yeah, just chill with them all the time. Just be super helpful. I mean, it would be cool to have a god on their side for once. It probably would have helped when they fought a giant green hand in space. And, and this guy seems pretty solid. Like, he, he's true to his word. Like, he, he's one of the better godlike beings in the show. Right. Yeah, but see, this is the first time he's been around human beings. And I'm assuming he's worried that eventually if he sits there and watches and them long enough, then maybe he'll be tempted to try to take over one of the bodies himself. Well, see, right. I, I don't think so, because I think he'd be more like counseling for him. Like, oh, hey, since we, we're, you know, 500 million years more advanced than you. And since we won't elaborate what happened to our society, but we're claiming it's going to happen to your society one day, they could have directed him to avoid that whole pro- process. I agree. I feel like eventually he'd get sick of just being in the ship, though, and would be like, you know what? I could do much more outside of the ship. Fuck this. And then just, like, take well, over a body or something and do well, something else. Well, you know, he could just transfer his conscience to, like, you know, another android ship body. or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or an android body that he seemed okay to be in anyway. Or he could just find another god like being like, oh, this god's being evil, so I'm just going to take his body and turn him into a good god. I'll be yeah, a good, no green, green, floating hand. No limit to what he could do. But Nurse Chapel enters the room, and Talesa tells McCoy to leave, and Sargon has a plan, and that they have much work to do. So McCoy leaves, and uh, the whole ship then starts to shake, and Chapel walks through his office kind of like in a daze, like she's just kind of a zombie, and he tries to talk to her, but she doesn't answer. So he goes back into the sick bay, and he sees that Kirk is sitting up, and he asks Kirk if he's alright, and Kirk says that he's fine, and they see Anne, and uh, ask her if she's herself, and she says that Thalesa is with Sargon, and uh, she's back in her own body. So McCoy looks around and sees that the receptacles are smashed and they're all smoking. And he notes that Spock's consciousness was in one of them. So Kirk says that uh, that it was necessary. And the way he was talking here, I thought that they put Spock's consciousness in Kirk's body for a second. Because he was very like Spock-like. He's like, yes, it yeah. was necessary. If he would have yeah. said logical, I'd have been like, that's Spock in there. Uh, McCoy says that there's no Spock to return to his body, and Kirk tells him to prepare a hypo with the fastest, deadliest poison known to Vulcans. And Spock's consciousness is gone, and that they must kill his body and the thing in it. So we go to the bridge, and this is where Uhura screams. Really weird. <laughs> really weird. <laughs> yeah. For no she just screams and passes out, and Hennock's just standing in front of her smiling. He's just like, ha ha, got she, well, they didn't, they didn't She's like, the, I couldn't even um, smile. So they should have yeah. added, like, um, what's her name, when the when to uh, when Tyra, well, Tia, whatever her name is, when she did the thing to him and made, and uh, to bones and put the purple stuff around him to make him feel pain. Oh yeah, I think that he. Yeah. That she, we never saw him say that to her, or never got the that imagery. So, so in the second when he does it to Kurt, and Kurt's like he's in pain, you got an idea of what the reference of it. You know, we just kind right. of we just kind of assume that. She's screaming because she's in pain, but you don't actually you don't see him see, say pain or see him do anything. So I assume that I was fine with it, but I understand some of you guys around here you need to hear the other side of the story to know what what actually happened. So well, no, you know. it was just it was a really weird cut and a really weird angle. Like it was oddly close. It just cuts to her screaming, and then he's standing there. Like the angle just made it more confusing than it needed to be. It's not even a story perspective it's literally just shit filmmaking at that point <laughs> it, it was spock smiling and i can tell you spock smiling is gonna haunt my nightmares for the rest of my <laughs> life <laughs> he was looking at he was looking at it with the evil eye he was making her stay in pain with the evil eye yeah. I, I i see what's going on yeah so she screams and she passes out and then uh Hennock goes and sits in the captain's chair with chapel next to him 
And Sulu turns to say something to him, but Henok asks if he needs to have an example made of him as well. And he clearly does not, because he doesn't say anything for the rest of the episode. <laughs> He's like, nope, I'm going to shut up and just turn <laughs> around and do my job. I want to go back to making movies. <laughs> Fuck this ship. Uh, Kirk and Anne enter the bridge, and Henok looks at him and says, pain. And Kirk starts writhing in pain. And then he does the same thing to Anne. But she doesn't seem to be in as much pain, because she didn't sell it very well. <laughs> she just kind of, like, slowly bends over a little bit while Kirk's, like, writhing around. Um Bones moves toward them, but uh, moves towards him to try to get him with the hypo. But Henock freezes him, like actually freezes him in place, and he says that he knows every thought of every mind around him. And he orders Chapel to take the hypo from McCoy and then eject McCoy with it. So she takes it and then she ejects it into Henock instead. And uh, he just like jumps up out of his chair and he starts laughing and he says that he'll just transfer to another body. And he tries to do it. I think there's really no like visual effect here, but I feel like he tried to do it. And then he looks up, like, and he just begs Sargon to let him transfer. And he can't transfer, and he just collapses. So Kirk rushes over to him and checks for vitals, but says that he's dead. And Sargon speaks and says that he couldn't allow Kirk to sacrifice someone so close to him. And then the high-pitched sound comes back, and then the light shines on Spock. And Spock stands up. And McCoy's like, he says that there was uh, enough poison in the hypo to kill ten Vulcans. Sargon says that he allowed McCoy to believe that to be true so that Henok would read his thoughts and believe it also. So they, yeah, they, they well tricked done. old McCoy to trick old Henok, which is pretty solid. Really good uh, writing for that. Spock explains that the injection was strong enough to cause unconsciousness. And Sargon says that Henok fled the body and uh, is destroyed. So I guess <laughs> he just he tried to go somewhere, had nowhere to go or whatever, and Henok is just dead, just like that. So Kirk wonders where Spock's consciousness was when his receptacle was destroyed, and Spock says that it was in the place Henok would least suspect, and Nurse Chapel explains that she was summoned to sickbay so that Spock's consciousness could be placed in her. And so I know she enjoyed that bit. so well, because her... Oh, yeah, they were I one. mean, she was so... Her thing for Spock's been so deep the whole time. Like, the look on her face is like, oh, it was like, she had a, a good time with that one. I just, I'm yeah. curious. It's like, isn't that like, like, isn't that like the mind melt, though, too? Isn't that the mind meld the Vulcans do kind of conscious into each other? I think so. Yeah, for a second. Yeah, okay. They kind of like dig around in there. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of, I enjoyed it. It's very cool. Sargon says that they now know that they can't permit themselves to exist in Kirk's world and that he and Thalesa must depart into oblivion. And Kirk asks if there's any way that they can help. Sargon asks if uh, Kirk and Anne are willing to allow him and Thalesa to share their bodies again for one last moment together. And so they agree, and uh, their bodies are taken over. I actually hold on. I actually thought they were gonna walk off, and you just assume what they were gonna do one last time as your know, husband and wife. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I, it makes sense. <laughs> just yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't just, think just Kirk or her would gonna go know, to Kirk's uh, with yeah, mine either. Just, yeah, it's not a yeah. They're just gonna go to Kirk's quarters and just just fucking have it. You know, <laughs> have it out. Hey, it's been five. It's been what half a million years, or, or, or so you, you know, he, yeah. he, he, they're overdue. Hey, their love yeah. is beyond that; those physical type things. They need <laughs> one moment of touching each other Bullshit. and realize I'll love you forever <laughs> and oblivion together. It's not frightening me. And let's go. Hey, touch is physical. Just this, and then they even made out for a second. Yeah, this little kiss was enough. Delisa says that uh, oblivion together doesn't frighten her, and Sargon promises that they'll be together forever, and he kisses her. 
And then they, for some reason, decide to leave during the kiss. Like, I feel like that's really <laughs> fucked up. Like, it's got to be super jarring for the other two to come back and they're just making out with somebody against their will, I guess. Um, yeah, they leave the bodies as they kiss. And Kirk comes back saying that he's sure that Sargon appreciated Anne's cooperating. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I was really happy to cooperate. And Chapel just says that it was beautiful because, like, everybody just was just watching them kiss for some reason. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and then they just move on. Yeah, they just continue on. But it ends on one really of those uh, light notes, though. That's why, and then one of those like little light notes make you smile or whatever. Oh, it's definitely a lighter ending compared to last week's episode, where it ends on yes. kind of a, a sour note. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'm gonna say that I thought this. There were really high points of this episode like Kirk's speech and the moral dilemma moral dilemma for this was really good but I don't think that it was executed very well and the ending was definitely rushed because I was looking at the time for this and I'm like there's five minutes left and they have not come close to anything that looks like a conclusion and then they threw all of this together in the last three minutes of this episode like Again, I feel like they just didn't know how to end it and that they wasted too much time in the middle. Like they got their point across and then they just kept hammering it in and they should have spent more time on a conclusion. I mean, I I liked the episode. I'm not going to say that it was like, you know, a high point in this season. It wasn't bad, but this one was just really kind of okay for me. And I feel like a better ending would have really pushed it up because there was some really good stuff in the episode. But overall, I would I would say that I don't probably wouldn't watch it a second time, I feel like. Dan, you want to go for this one? Yeah, I I kind of agree with agree with you on what what you just kind of said. Honestly, like the high points were really good, but at the same time, it was just kind of man. So I, I I glad I watched it, but I probably probably wouldn't go back and rewatch it. it. It doesn't hold up to some of the other episodes in in the season, which you know the seasons overall has just been really good. So there's been a yes. You know, the bar has been kind of set high. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, season two has been amazing. Paul, do you want to tell us how this is the best episode you've ever seen? So, yes. Uh, <laughs> once again, you guys are wrong. This is an incredible episode. And I'll explain to you why. Once again, see, I, my over analytical Brian Raiders does something. So, the dilemma, the, so for me, every episode of the season is thought provoking in a way. Like, it, they all have been. This is about like having unlimited power and being really responsible with it spider-man where great power comes great responsibility so like one guy wanted the power and he wanted to take over the body because he was tempted by it the other guy didn't you know or like for instance like for one moment brandon was like um uh oh if they take the body and then they do good things then that's okay and that's like yo justifying the evil action and do something good with it you, you, you still did something evil you know that's for me, that's how I saw it. Even though I maybe it wasn't supposed to be that deep, and I overanalyze like I always do, guys. But for me, also uh, about me, it was about that. Also, I think it was very curious that they said the he said um, the guy said our world died because we thought of ourselves as gods. That's really deep. To like, like for especially for this time, people forgetting how big religion was at this time. So like. I, a lot of these episodes have this like religious like undertone to them in a way where it's like life lessons. Like you think of yourselves as God so much that you de- you destroyed your whole entire world, but you find a way to save yourself in these little cubicle things. You get you get you, you finally reach out there to get life again. But this time you're smart enough to realize, hey, 
We thought ourselves gods, and we could do that again. But if we do that again, we could end up destroying everything. So I personally thought it was a really good episode. Not not as good as last episode. Last episode was amazing. But like an eight or nine, I give it like an eight or nine. I, I don't have any issues with it. Like I thought it was really good. I think that like if you watch this with the my mind, because you know I overanalyze everything. I felt like there was a lot of lessons in here that was deep. My only issue is I have a solve for them. Go find somebody in a coma and take their body. And at, but then what if they come out of the coma? There, come on now, don't. That's super rare. I get it. I I get it. But like, and also like, they can find a way to coexist. I swear there was an a episode we watched before, and they were co- they they found a way to coexist with the person inside, and then they like voluntarily. Yeah, that was, uh... When the, when they were on that planet, was like the green like energy blob and the, like the what the oh yeah the, the girl yeah. ended up dying so like the entity took like her body to stay with uh the guy that was captured for however long it was that he was by himself yeah, yeah. I just I was surprised they couldn't come up with a way to coexist because I know before we've seen uh two minds coexist to each other I know they would have been would have been a lengthy process whatever but like. If they could find a way to coexist and be good, I feel like they could have found a way to make it work. I know it would have been a struggle, and and the temptation would have been there. But obviously, Sargon was tempted, and he was like, "No, I don't want to do it." And his wife, uh, she had her test, and she passed it. So I think together they could have came up with a way to, hey, can we find somebody who can coexist with us, and they can come to our planet maybe and live on our planet to and coexist with us. And furthermore, why didn't we go down to the planet and get the materials? Because it's like earlier, uh, uh, Vulcan was saying, hey, this uh, Vulcan, well, I call him Vulcan says Spock. Spock was saying, hey, this equipment is more advanced than we've ever seen. It's still there. So we can, we can go back to that planet and, and study it and, and like take the stuff with us and use it for engineer it. Yeah. And, and, like try to reverse engineer it or something. I, I'm assuming, right? What he was talking about at that point was literally just the walls was made out of a material that was harder than anything that they've ever seen yeah harder and stronger like, yeah so like just, just the walls like well no, no i'm saying i'm saying all the advancement technology they had in there like it's still going to be there after the two gods go away so yeah, i don't I'm, know because they didn't really show anything like equipment wise so it it seemed that it was more of just a storage area than anything you wouldn't think it would be like logically you would think that they would have a bunch of shit there but it didn't uh, show anything there like it well, seemed like it was just a shelf with people's consciousness on it but yeah but but the materials it was in was di- was more advanced than what they have now. See what I'm saying? Therefore, could they melt it and make other things out of that material to be that strong? Like, you know, like, could they take the metals right. that were there and take pieces of it and to make a weapon or make something that was more destructible or more, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just curious why that never really crossed. Maybe they crossed their mind. Maybe, maybe it crossed their minds. I don't know. Me personally, it's already there. So if we can go there, maybe we should be able to take some of the equipment there and use it for further for further use, you know? Right. Oh, all right. Overall, you know, I like the episode, of course, because, I, you know, I'm opposite of the other guys, always opposite of them. I thought it was good. I thought a lot of good lessons in it. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, um, yeah, I just, I li- this season's been really good for me so far, so I really enjoyed it. I thought it was thought-provoking, and uh, I liked it a lot. No, no I do agree with you, Paul, that uh, the ends don't justify the means. Yeah. And even the ending, though. I liked the ending, too. I didn't think the ending was bad. I just think the ending just made sense. Like I, I didn't feel rest or nothing. I'm not. I don't. I don't know where you got that from personally. I just maybe I have to, maybe I watch it again and I might feel it a different kind of way. But I just. 
I just felt like it could have been executed better. The ending was rushed, and they, like you said, I think that there were solutions that could have been explored instead of just like, okay, uh, we're going to go die now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, once again, I'm curious <laughs> you, if that, that was the intent, You can hang out though. in the ship like you were a minute ago. Yeah. Like, last episode. You don't episode, have to be around humanity. Like, you guys, there's an entire fucking universe out there. You don't have to be around people. You yeah. can get your robot bodies or something and go somewhere else. Well, last episode, their intent, they ended it, and you're supposed to, like, think whatever happened. This episode, I feel like the same thing. I feel like the, the questions I'm bringing up, I wonder if they intentionally didn't tell give us this stuff to be like, oh, let's let people leave thought, like thinking about stuff. Because this whole season has seemed to be written by guys who have left open-ended questions at the end to provoke conversation. And I'm curious if they were doing that on purpose. Because you got to remember, like this Star Trek, like for all you guys out there, Star Trek is even the first interracial kiss on television. You know, so I feel like this show seems to like really enforce some kind of thought-provoking things as it goes along like even though it's star trek it has this deeper hidden message behind this particularly this season i feel like it so maybe they they're doing that i don't know maybe i'm overthinking it but you know i really enjoyed it well what's not open-ended is the next episode that we're gonna watch that's very definite and that is season two episode 21 and that is patterns of force the enterprise is sent to the planet ecos ecos to investigate this disappearance of federation Histor- why well, historian John Gill. Wow, that talk. sounds terribly boring. Uh, <laughs> I don't know because from the little uh, picture, it looks like it's a Nazi guy. From the picture, <laughs> yeah, from the picture, oh, it looks great. like a guy in a Nazi suit almost. So, <laughs> and and Kurt is shirtless in the little picture also. So, oh, it's been, it's been oh, a while since we got shirtless Kirk. So. Yeah, so yeah. shirtless Kirk looks like he may be put in a in a jail cell or something. I'm not sure. I'm just guessing, but it, looks, it might be more entertaining than you think. Huh. All right. Well, uh, with that, I think we're going to call it there. As always, thank you, everybody, for listening and sticking with us. And I will see you on the next episode. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Make sure to check out our Twitter, which is at WWST underscore podcast. Hey, we thank you guys and uh, appreciate it and talk to you guys later. Later.